everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here with the Invested Podcast, where we're really diving in deep into Warren Buffett's style investing, which is value investing, very focused, how to buy wonderful companies as businesses and Ooh. hold them forever. That would be ideal. How to buy wonderful companies as businesses and hold them forever, ideally. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Let me add one more thing. Please. How to buy compounding machines. How to buy companies that take our money and compound it at extremely high rates of return. I mean, just think, Danielle, comparing the ability of Apple Computer to compound money, they take the equity that would be my money in the company and they make 30% a year on it. 30%. They're compounding it at 30% a year. Compare that to putting your money in a savings account. Yeah, or, I mean, or, they have been, but whether or not they're going to, I mean, it's the constant refrain of anyone involved with investing money is that past performance is no indication of the future. What is it? Past performance is no indication of future results? Yeah. Yes, that one. And There's no guarantee of future results, I believe, is the way they say it. Because past no, did performance I, yeah, did is I say absolutely no indication? an indication of future You're right. results. Absolutely. I said it totally wrong. You're right. <laughs> it's totally an indication, <laughs> but it's not a guarantee. And so, yeah, the fact that they've been compounding money like crazy is a great indicator. It's a reason that so many people are really excited about Apple um, and some people are not. And, and that's because their prognostication of the future is different than others' prognostication of the future. Well, for I don't Apple want to computer. get hung up on Apple. I'm just grabbing a stock there. Okay. Right. What no, I'm not talking about on. Apple in particular. It's the general um, attitude of, yes, let's find wonderful companies and find ones that are going to do really well in the future. The point I'm trying to make. What's your point? <laughs> is that I want you to learn to own these businesses that are are compounding money at extremely high rates of return compared to anything else you can put money into, compared mm. to real estate, compared to putting money in, in bonds, compared to anything. And if people are trying, if our students are trying to become financially independent to a place where they don't, they know they're not going to have to worry about money later in their lives. Yeah. The reason that they know that they're not going to have to worry about money later in their lives is because they owe the, own these compounding machines that will compound money at high rates of return for a decade or more. And that's the whole essence of what we're trying to do is to own a yeah. few things that just compound money at high rates of return and leave them alone. Just don't do anything. Put them in there. Done. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, that sounds great. Sign me up. Like, I mean, <laughs> come on. What? I, that's, that's like, I mean, it's like saying, uh, well, you know, I sure would like to wake up with fabulous compounding money in my bank account. It's like, yeah, okay, great. Well, also, yeah. How, how is the rub. Where's the rub? It's how. And it's what decisions are we each going to make to make that happen? And how do we really make future predictions based on past results that are reliable? Well, you've dove into the woods in the and here, but let me just say from the view of the forest, before you get to how, okay. you better understand why. <laughs> 
You better understand why. Or you won't get to how. If you don't understand why you would want to do this and put this effort into it, you'll never get to how to do it. You're just going to be out there going like, well, I don't need to, I'm going to, that looks hard. I'm going to think about something else. It's the compounding machine that is the why. No, that's, that's a really good point. I'm actually even writing this down. Oh, it's good. the why that's important because a lot of us, you know, hear this stuff and we go, yeah, all right, that sounds pretty good. And then we don't do anything about it. And I speak from great personal experience on this subject. So <laughs> the why, I think, is what pushes me through those moments of I'm tired. I've got a million other things to do. There's so many other things on my should list that I'm also ignoring. This one's way at the bottom of the should list. And it's the why that that forces it to the top of the should list and then on to the, okay, I'm actually going to make time in my day for this. Um, so what's your answer to the why, Dad? Well, my answer to the why focus on this kind of investing is because it's the only way I know of that you can consistently over decades produce generational wealth. That's the why. Mm. I mean, people do it with real estate. I'll grant you that. Right. Um, but it's very hard for most people to do it with real estate because it requires a lot of effort to go out and find super on sale deals. And most people who do it with real estate basically get lucky. They're speculating that the price of the properties will go up. They buy them and they go up and they sell them and they come back with this, hey, Eureka, I'm a great investor. But that's not investing. It's just pure speculation. And as we saw in 2007, that can end up with horrendous results ultimately. Whereas if you own wonderful businesses and you own them right, including pieces of real estate that are valued at a, as a wonderful business, you are going to have a spectacular compounding machine. And that compounding machine will make you rich. It's it's just a question of when. You know, it the the more you work at it, the better you get at it, the more time you put into it, the when gets closer, right? You're going to be there sooner. But the why is because there's no better way to invest in the world than I know of. And that's why of the Fortune 400 richest people in the world, you'll see that almost without exception they are owners of businesses, yeah. either multiple businesses like Buffett or they're owners of businesses like Bill Gates. They own businesses because businesses, unlike real estate, compound money internally. They, they do it within their own mechanism. And that's why Apple, back to that rather shaky example, I guess, Apple is compounding the money internally at 30% a year and has done so for a decade. And as a result, if you owned all of Apple, your equity would have doubled almost every two years. That's five doubles in the last 10 years that you would have received. And that meant a $10,000 investment there in that Apple compounding machine would have doubled five times. That's 10 to 20, that's one. 40, 80, 160, $320,000. 10,000 becomes $320,000 in 10 years. And I don't think there's anything on the planet that does that that well. That's why. I have a better why. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. <laughs> I have a better good. one. Are Let's you ready? Why. Yeah. Inflation. Inflation mm -hmm. affects the real estate market differently than it does affect 
companies that are publicly traded, indeed private companies as well, but particularly publicly traded ones. Inflation causes, well, it doesn't cause, and I'm not going to pretend that I completely understand these mechanisms, but doesn't it seem like when inflation goes up, mortgage rates also go up? Hasn't that historically been how it's worked? And it's because the Fed is trying to, in the U.S., is trying to adjust against inflation, right? Right. Okay. Right. So what that means if you're a real estate investor is that you're going to be up against inflation. Whereas if you're an investor in companies in the public markets, you actually just move with inflation because your money changes in value according to inflation within the companies themselves. So you never really have to worry about it versus if it's just sitting in my bank account. And this is like blows my mind every time I think about it through me doing nothing wrong at all. It is losing buying power. I am losing effectively. I understand this is not literally the case, but I'm effectively losing money without doing anything wrong simply by doing nothing. So in a way, doing nothing is doing something wrong, which is so mean. I cannot get over it. It's just it's, mean, it's, it's Dad. Really, it's, it's something that's a slow-moving disaster it, it's very much like in austin powers disaster. <laughs> it's awesome you remember when austin powers was on the bulldozer and the worker or the bad guy was standing there yeah screaming about worrying about being run over by the bulldozer oh when he's oh yeah <laughs> when the guy has he like he has move. like a cement paver and he's moving towards him he's moving at the speed of a cement slowly. paver <laughs> yeah and the bad guy is just standing there and finally gets run over Right. It's very slow moving problem. And as a result, a lot of people don't realize it's happening to them. But let's just say for the record here that inflation is, in fact, the decline of buying power of your dollars. Let's just and say that if but you're that's a accurate. Saver, if it's a saver, you're being penalized. If you're a saver, you're penalized by inflation. Right. If you save money, if you put your money under your mattress, right? Right. You get hammered because at the current inflation rate that we've had, this isn't the current rate. I'm not sure what it is right now, but um, over the last hundred years, it's roughly averaged three percent per year, and that means that every roughly 25 years, the the buying power of the dollar is cut in half. Whoa! So if you have a dollar saved under your mattress, and it will buy a Coke. 25 years later, it won't. You'll need $2 to buy the Coke. Yeah, exactly. And that just happens without well, it, any... Yeah. I mean, it, it, there are forces that... I'm not trying to say like it just happens <laughs> according to the laws of nature, but it happens in an economy. Um, sometimes it goes the other way. There's deflation. But generally, in a healthy economy, we will have some inflation. And I think... I mean, I'm a millennial... I've never been through rampant inflation. And I think maybe people who have are more aware of this, but I was not aware of it at all. At all. This is why I think it's so mean. It's just, it feels very personal. It's like you're taking my money. So I have to do something about it to not get hit by this slow moving machine. Right. So right. that's, that's like, about it's it. just straight up like that's life. <laughs> you have to do something about it because inflation has um, some really horrible consequences down the road for people who are retired. Um, 
if, for example, Social Security, which might be a minimum standard of living, is indexed to inflation, it continues to grow as a um, a tax on the rest of the economy, right? Everybody who's working has to pay for the people who are not working. And what they're paying is growing with inflation and is doubling every 25 years. So Social Security bill is coming due on workers doubling every 25 years. So 25 years, it doubles. 25 years, it doubles again, which is four times larger than it was at, maybe at the beginning of your life, mm. is what the workers have to pay out there. And if their wages aren't connected to inflation directly, if they're not indexed to inflation, then they're not keeping up with the bills that are coming due, mm. Yeah. right? And so, and so people are saving and saving and saving and investing in very careful, safe investments like bonds that are paying, like right now, a five-year treasury bond is paying like 2%, you know? Uh, and, and so you get this 2%, but inflation is at three. You're going backwards yeah. at a very fast rate in terms of your buying power. I just read and this so, crazy article and I'm trying right now to remember where I found it. It was not new. But somehow I got to it. It was, a, it was a, I think, like the Wall Street Journal or something. I'll find it and I'll put it in my next newsletter, which if you guys aren't signed up, you can sign up at danielletown.com. Um, and this article, well, there, plug. But really, I can't remember. But it was so good. And I, I made a note so that I would be able to send it out. And it was the journalist compared a janitor who worked at Apple computer today, or, you know, whenever the article came out, um, compared to somebody who worked as a janitor at Kodak company, um, back when Kodak was really enormous and one of the major companies in the world. And what was so extraordinary to me, first of all, it was their opportunities. They, they were, the journalist found someone who had been a janitor and she, through education that was offered by the Kodak company, was able to move actually into management and became relatively high up in the Kodak company. And she stayed with that company for years and years and years and um, was extremely successful. So that was extraordinary because the, the people who work in the janitorial staff now at Apple have no ability to do that because they're contractors. They don't actually work for Apple Computer. And it's an entirely price-based system. So, you know, and there are reasons. Where are we going with this, by the way? Because it was so fascinating to see how the change in buying power affected it. So the, that was point one. But point two was that the salary that the people who work in janitorial services at Apple Computer get now is something like a third in buying power of what that woman got at Kodak so many years ago. Oh my gosh. And that explains why it is so bloody hard to make it today. Because it literally it explains is. why so many people are really angry yes. today. Yes, it does. That's right. Right? Yeah. This I isn't mean, imaginary. Have... This is not imaginary. This is real. No. We don't have as much money as we used to. Right. And guess who has more? <laughs> the rich people. Yeah. Yeah. The rich people. So not to encourage a class war or anything, um, we're here on this podcast to help you uh, maybe help us avoid a class war by giving all of us little guys the tools to profit the way the big fat rich cats do. Exactly, Dad. From owning shares of these companies rather than working I couldn't agree more. Yeah, fine. We got to work in them. 
You know? I mean, that's why I think what so you do gotta, is so cool because you teach people how to take charge of their own money and invest through the through the magic of the internet on their own. This is something we couldn't do before the internet. And now we have not only the ability literally to buy and sell stocks at, in the comfort of our own homes, but also to get all the information around those companies that used to be only available to professionals simply because it costs so much to put it out. And now we get it for, you know, depending on what you want, nothing to a few thousand a <laughs> right. year. <laughs> like, right. And I mean, think about this. When you were a baby, Value Line, which is the major source of information about companies back in 1980, Value Line was, I think, around 50000 a year. I can't be real sure because I didn't have anything remotely it was close one of, to enough I know, things like that where you're just like, well, line. it's too much, and you don't remember even what it was. Yeah, that was it. I knew one guy who was an ind individual investor um, when you were a baby who was using Value Line, and his dad invented the uh, the the bicycle, the the sitting bicycle oh. thing that you do, exercise bicycle. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. rich and he could afford it. Otherwise, the little guy couldn't. And, you know, as a result, when you were a kid, you were a little kid, I would go up to University of California Library and I would dig out these things out of the library. And, you know, a lot of times the value line pages would be torn out by the last guy that took it and didn't want oh, anybody to see awful. it. It would be old. Oh, and you'd send send an email to go or send an email. You couldn't send an email. You send a letter out to a company and say, could you send me your annual reports? A lot of times they would ignore you because oh. they could see it was from some amateur or they would send them and it'd be a month later. Wow. And now you, I get it in a second it. and I complain about how long it takes to read them. <laughs> it's just like you, you are benefiting from a revolution of, of, information that makes financial literacy possible that's, I think, very similar in its impact as Gutenberg's printing press back in the 1500s made literacy possible. That's what made democracy possible is the democratization of mm -hmm. information. It wasn't all held by a small number of elites. And up until just recently, this financial information has been held by a small number of elites. And this is a revolution that's happening right now as, as we're Talking, we're at the infant stages of the little guy uh, having financial data sufficient to manage his own money. And, you know, the vast majority of people are ignoring this because they don't know or they've been told to be afraid. Just like 500 years ago, you were told, you know, you can't learn this. This is too hard to learn to read. And, you know, you should let us be sure we're in charge of your life. That's how it should work. And the masters of Wall Street, right? Those people, would love you to stay right where you are. Just keep sending them the money through your 401k and your IRA and your KEO and your pension fund and your bank. You just keep sending them the money. They would like nothing more than for you to stay bone ignorant for the rest of your life. And well, not because they're jerks, but because they want you to pay them to do it for you. Right. I mean, yeah. that's fair. You could go down and join them if yeah. you wanted to. Um, I wouldn't say they're not jerks, okay. but I, would say, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't make a blanket statement that they're not jerks. But, um, you know, I think there's a reason why Wall Street should be very afraid of the people here, because if the people get literacy, financial literacy, 
they're likely to have a revolution. They're likely to rebel against what Wall Street is doing by keeping them ignorant. And that would make Wall Street go away, just like kings and queens yeah. went away. I mean, I, my husband always talks about things having a push and a pull. And as you were saying that, I was, it just came to mind um, that, that everything we've just said is the push. It's the, the push from not having the knowledge and from the financial industry not providing the right stuff to us and not giving people with under a million dollars access to good advice and all the things that we don't have when you are just you and you don't have a ton of money. But the pull for me made a huge difference to me starting this. So I'll say it. Mm. It was when I realized that my money actually has power in the market, much like my consumer money does. My consumer money, I think about very carefully which which companies I buy things from, which companies I put my money with, because I'm literally supporting those companies with my consumer money. So I loved Whole Foods, as you know, and put my money with Whole Foods because I thought they were a really good company. And I made sure that I supported them by buying often overpriced stuff from Whole Foods because they would provide me such a good service that I was willing to pay a premium for it. And also I thought the company as a whole was, was just good for the community. Now, when I started learning this stuff, I mean, we do it with all sorts of things like Tom's Shoes is such a classic, like you buy one, you give one. And now there's so many companies that do the buy one, give one model. It's become almost de rigueur in consumer circles, right? Like we look at it and we go, okay, well, are they helping women in Africa? No. Okay. Well, I don't want to buy from that company. I'm going to buy from this other company that does help women in Africa. And it just is like a nice thing to make sure that your money is going to a company with a soul. Well, this is this is a second a second important. That's what why. I'm saying. This is the right. pull. So, so that everything we just talked about was right. the push, but the pull is wait a second. There's actually something good I could be doing here. It's not just because I'm forced into it. It's not just because of the negativity of inflation or the knowledge that compounding exists and the best investing choice is probably the stock market. Like that's the push, but the pull is oh, I could actually be excited about this. I could actually be into this and feel like I'm doing something good. And that is seeing my money as having power in the markets themselves. And what you just said about how we could be changing the market overall. I mean, we've said this a lot on here. If we as a whole, as people investing our own money, actually put money into only companies that we think are wonderful and doing good things in the world, we would make a difference. We would literally make a difference. The fact that we're not is what is letting these people get away with the stuff they get away with in public markets. Yep. It's what lets them get away with uh, being the kind of CEOs they are. It's what lets boards of directors get away with a complete abdication of their responsibility to the owners of the company. I mean, I would bet most of the boards out there feel no true obligation to the owners of the company. That would be you and me, the shareholders. They are obligated to the CEO. They're obligated to their quarter million dollars a year that they get for doing almost nothing. Yeah, Isn't that crazy the board members get paid so much? It's crazy that they get paid so much for many of them doing nothing but rubber stamping what a CEO wants them to rubber stamp. And that means somehow they get away 
Like Elizabeth Warren is pushing for some interesting stuff. All right. right? We're, we're not political on here. Well, wait, I'm just saying she is suggesting that boards of directors need to be held accountable for the kind of stuff these companies are doing. And I think she's onto something here. It's like so easy for board members to just completely abdicate their responsibility and let this company's CEO do whatever he wants, including destroy the company, which mm -hmm. happens regularly. And then they walk away scot-free like they had no true responsibility. If they have no true responsibility, then fire them all. Why, why pretend that there's something there that's actually there to protect the owners of the business? So I, I'm thinking that what you're saying has so many levels on it of, of us being involved in our money in a significant way, voting our values in a significant way, not just as consumers where we obviously vote our values, right? I, 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 I do that every day. But as the person that's managing my future, being responsible for my own future, and not relying on the government, not relying on the goodwill of my corporation to actually exist in 20 years when it's time to pay my pension, right? I mean, right now, we're, we act like serfs so much of the time. It, it's so horrible that we have given over to the powerful people in our country so much responsibility for our own lives. And I think this democratization of, liter of, of information about financial, uh, about the financial world gives us an opportunity to really take a quantum leap forward. And number one, taking care of ourselves and our families and the future generations of our families. Number two, making the world a better place to be by holding people accountable for the products they make and for the, and for the kinds of uh, interactions that they have with their communities and for how they're treating their employees and for how they're treating the, I mean, the whole package that John Mackey, we've talked about this before, that, you know, the whole package of mm -hmm. stakeholder... Conscious capitalism. Um, yeah. Responsibilities. Yeah. Conscious capitalism. And and nobody's going to hold these people to it except the owners of the business. Nobody. Not your fund manager, not your index. Good God. Most people listening to this, this podcast right now invest in index funds, which is the maximum abdication of responsibility nobody's paying attention to what's going on in those companies in an index fund management team. They're just responsible for yeah. the math. How many of this should I, I buy mean, compared to how many of that? it's just completely different. Yeah. So I, I absolutely think that if we start with the why, right? Why? Inflation will take you down. Inflation will destroy the earning power of your, of your job. Inflation will wreck your retirement. And it's going to be big. Inflation is going to be big. America's debt is now insane. I mean, we're getting more insane all the time. I just read in the Wall Street Journal today that our debt by 2025, so this is what, seven years, right? Six years. In six years, U.S. debt interest payments will be higher than what we pay for the U.S. military. It'll be higher than what we pay for Medicaid. It'll be higher than all of the goods and services the U.S. government provides. Higher than all of those things. Um, each. No, each individual oh. chunks like this. Our debt will be the biggest single thing Got that it. we're paying yeah. in the federal government. Wow. And that means what? Inflation. Why? Because they can't pay that kind of debt. They can't tax people enough to pay it. You could take all the money from all the rich people and you wouldn't debt it. So what do you do? Well, you print money and you're paying back, you know, dollars that would buy a Coke, 
a dollar would buy a Coke, you're paying it back with a dollar that would buy half a Coke. That's one good way to get rid of debt. And that's how governments do it. And that's why inflation is going to be with us big time in the future. And the only way, as this is what we started out with, the only way I know of to be sure that we can have generational wealth that grows bigger than inflation grows is to own companies that are compounding money at these high rates of return. I mean, if, again, back to Apple, if Apple's compounding at 30% a year and inflation is three, you are massively outperforming inflation. And, uh, you know, go get, get educated on how to do this and buy a few companies. And this is why indexing won't do it. The, the stock market may or may not keep up with inflation. It's very, very hard to know for sure if it will. Oh, you're saying the, the market as a whole might by, not keep up with inflation. As a whole. Yeah. Because here's what happens. Um, people judge the stock market a lot in comparison to bonds. And as inflation really kicks in, as we saw in 1980, inflation was running rampant. The federal government raised the interest rates to 15% per year. I mean, think about that, what that would do to your mortgage, right? So interest rates go to 15% a year. What that means is the stock market starts to look like a really terrible place to put money. Why? You know, and people oh, ship them up because you can make 15% a year in a bond. You can put it in a, a bond. bond. This bond thing always sort of comes out of and left field. Yeah. I mean, you're making almost twice as much as the historical rate of return in the stock market if you buy a 15% 30-year bond. So the money goes out of the market into the bonds and all of a sudden stocks drop like a brick while inflation is going up like a rocket, right? What we want instead is we want companies that we don't care what the stock market says they're worth. They're a compounding machine and 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they'll have massively outperformed inflation. That's what we want to do. Okay. You're staring at the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you said what a lot of I good stuff. Um, and <clears throat> But the thing is, like, companies, I get it, the stock market as a whole may go down, you know, may totally, like, do whatever it does. But um, companies individually deal with inflation the same way individuals deal with inflation. It just becomes part of the money they have coming in going out. So... Well, not all companies. No, there's a lot of companies that do terrible in inflation. Here's why. If you're a company that requires raw materials, right? You have to have stuff mm -hmm. to build the iPhone or stuff to build the railroad trains. That stuff in inflation is going up like a rocket. So that means your costs mm -hmm. are rising faster than your mm -hmm. ability to raise your prices. And that means your profit margins get squeezed sometimes in these companies down to below zero, and those companies go broke. So there's a very special kind of company, again, a compounding machine that has the power to keep its prices up above inflation. And that comes about as a result of what we've talked about a hundred times on this podcast, which is this durable competitive advantage that's intrinsic to the company that we call a moat. That moat is critically important in times of inflation because it gives those companies the pricing power to raise their prices. So Coca-Cola, for example, might struggle for a little bit under higher sugar prices, but ultimately it can raise its prices above what it's paying in extra cost of sugar. 
And that makes Coke a fabulous long-term investment as long as you don't mind the moral quandary of investing in something with sugar that makes kids diabetic and fat and yeah. the whole thing. So other than that. They Coke are buying great. a lot of natural foods companies, but I'll leave that to the side. Um, okay. <laughs> Good. So you see, you see that, that it's not just compounding power. It's compounding power long-term, which is dependent on this durable competitive advantage that's intrinsic. And that's why we spend so much time. On, uh, we, and we could come back to that and hit that some more. I don't want to get bogged down in it. I just want to say that a wonderful business, by definition, eats inflation for lunch. Whoa. No problem. Yeah. And that's why, here, let me, let me take you to Warren Buffett <laughs> 101 here. Somebody asked Buffett, well, why not in times of inflation and fear and all that, just buy a bunch of gold? And Buffett said, look, you take all the gold in the world, it's a cube that would sit between home plate and second base, all right? All the gold in the world would be right there in that little space of 90 feet. And he said, or you could take the same current cost of that gold and you could buy 18 of the biggest energy companies in the world. You could buy 18 Exxons, I think he said, and all of the agricultural productive land in America. That would be all of, all of San Joaquin Valley, all of the Midwest corn, all the cotton, everything. You would own all of that rather than this cube of gold. And the reason that Buffett said that is because the cube of gold doesn't compound anything. It, it goes up or down mm -hmm. depending on fear, depending on a lot of other you know, macroeconomic things, and ultimately kind of keeps up with inflation, whereas all of that ag land and that energy is required for people to survive. And as a result, it will vastly exceed inflation over the long run. You'll have something that is a compounding machine. And that's that's such a huge difference. Does that, does that make sense yeah. to you? You're, you're looking at it's me It's just like, like oh. a whole other layer of inflation yeah. knowledge that I didn't know we were going to talk about today. No, I didn't know what but we were going to talk like, about today. It's like, anyway, it's so heavy, there we are. It's heavy inflation upon me. But that's life. One must deal with such things. So, <laughs> okay, that was very <laughs> philosophical. All right, let's can we, let's, can let's we talk about something next week, week that um, um, that just came up this week, which is which is people investing in index funds. I want to talk more about that because you mentioned it as something kind of bad to do, but that's what Buffett says to do, and people talk about it. People ask me about it all the time. So, can we talk about that next week? Okay. Let's do. And um, and also, I just want to mention one more plug, if I can, that I put your TED Talk oh, on my YouTube channel. Just Phil Town Rule One Investing. I put it on the YouTube channel. I, I put a little wrapper around it, and the TED Talk is right there. And I also just want to mention, you know, kudos to the, the team that um, helps me do these YouTube videos that we've now had 8 million oh, downloads. What? YouTube videos? Oh. Of the YouTube videos, yeah. And one of them is almost at 2 million downloads. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Guess can check that out. So good job watching, saying, everybody. If you're going to plug invest, if you're going to plug Danielle Town, I'm going to plug. Well, it's funny because in the Phil last Town podcast, which was our videos. live podcast at your workshop, you also <laughs> announced how many views you've had on your YouTube. <laughs> I, I think I it was not. I think it's gone up. <laughs> 
Well, you can look it up and see what the number is. It's in the ballpark of several million, I'm pretty sure. All right, I'm done yapping All right. about that. Thanks, it's everybody. Indexes, indices next week. All right, cool. Until <laughs> then, time to go play. See ya. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.